Our scripture reading, our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 5. I'll give you a moment to turn there with me, and we will remain standing together out of honor for the Lord and His Word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You may be seated, and in a moment we'll pray together, but before we do, we have an exciting uh, treat this morning, and that is that one of our missionaries uh, is here visiting, and that's Patty Morris. Patty has served in France for 39 years, and I'm actually going to invite Patty up right now, and she's going to share a little bit of an update with us about uh, where things are currently in her serving and ministry. So, Patty, thank you for being here. Great to have you. 
Bonjour tout le monde. Ça fait plaisir d'être parmi vous ce matin. It's really nice to be with you this morning. Uh, as was said, I've served in France with Encompass World Partners now for 39 years. So I am on the last stretch. Um, I will be in the States uh, through September and then I will be returning for changes and transitions. I will be moving back to the States here in Southern California. And I'm looking forward to being with you for more than two Sundays in a row because I am a member of this church. I just don't know you very well because I'm always in France. And I'd appreciate your prayers for several things, uh, for the transitions that are upcoming, but also for the believers that I've been working with. It's just been really incredible uh, to see the long term of what God is doing in France. When I first went, there were the church that I'm a part of had, you could probably count people on two hands, and now it's a church of about 250, 300. We have planted three additional churches, and there's another group uh, that is meeting in the next city uh, over, and they just had a camp with 60 people, majority of them non-believers, and a lot of from Muslim background as well. So God is working, and I want to thank you for your prayers. This is a great passage, um, and I also would ask you to pray for Andrew and Aaron McNeil. You probably know them because they're from here. They are staying in my apartment while I am here on U.S. Ministries. And I just want to thank God for his faithfulness. You'll hear more of that <laughs> in the message this morning and uh, just that he allowed me to serve in France all these years and to see uh, men and women grow in their faith in Christ and to be formed um, to, uh, yeah, to continue to grow and to take on responsibilities. And I could tell you stories of transformed lives, but we don't have time this morning. But maybe there'll be other opportunities. And again, I just want to thank you for your prayers. Thanks so much, Patty. We're so thankful to have you with us. Um, and tell me if this is true. Well, I know this service you're sharing in the class. But if someone wanted to hear more, they could catch you on the plaza this morning and maybe figure out when that might be able to happen. There will be many opportunities to hear about all that Patty is doing. And, oh, and the women's prayer group in August. Okay, so you can look forward to that for all the ladies. Okay, well, thanks so much. Let's pray together right now. Father, we thank you for uh, even in the passage that we just read, um, this encouragement that our hearts would be directed towards your love and towards the steadfastness of Christ. And Lord, we know that the reason that we're here, the reason that the church is there in France, the reason that your people are uh, who they are all around the world is because of your love for us and because of the faithfulness of Christ. And so Lord, we Acknowledge this morning that we are just an uh, unworthy uh, group of people who you have just plucked out of the world and brought to yourself, that you've rescued us by the blood of Christ uh, shed for us. And we just thank you and praise you for that. Lord, thank you that we have uh, the hope of an amazing eternity in store, that that is guarded by you and that you've given us your spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance. And we just we praise you for that. Please um, just anchor our minds and our hearts in these uh, just great eternal realities this morning. 
Lord, we thank you so much for Patty and her service and ministry over these years to you in France, and we just want to lift her up to you right now as she is in a time of transitioning from being on the field to being back home. We ask that you would bless her in that, that you would coordinate uh, the details involved with that in a smooth way, and that it would even be just a sweet uh, kind of wrapping up of the ministry there as she's able to to say goodbye to many friends and to and to transition to being here uh, back in America. Lord, we just ask for your blessing and all of that. We pray for the believers there who she has worked with for all these years, and we just pray for their continued progress in the faith, that you would bring them to be mature in Christ. And we thank you for all of the ways you have brought people to yourself and have grown them. We pray also for all of the unbelievers who remain in Lyon and across all of France, and we just ask that your word would continue to speed ahead. Lord, we pray that lives would continue to be transformed and changed by the gospel, and we thank you for the work that you're doing there. Uh, We also uh, just want to lift up the McNeils to you, Andrew and Aaron and their kids, and Lord, we pray for your blessing on their lives as well as they're there um, just serving you. We pray that um, you would just allow them to grow in the ways that you desired them to grow uh, while they're in France, and we pray for their encouragement as they are away from the body here. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this morning to be together. Thank you for your mercy towards us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Christ who saved me from the depths, God's pardon I've received. I'm washed within His precious blood, my heart is sprinkled clean. My life is but a bleeding sigh, a 
Heavenly Father, thank you that we indeed can do nothing. That there is no amount of, of goodness or rightness that we can bring to you to earn our salvation. And we thank you because we know that we could never be good enough. We thank you that you sent Jesus. God, a, a sinless Savior who would redeem a people. And God, thank you that you've called and chosen us. I pray that in turn that we would want nothing more than to love you, God, to know you, to honor you, because you're worthy of all glory and worship and adoration, both now and, and forever. We thank you, God, that we could take, look at your word this morning and we ask that you would reveal truth to us through your word, by your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a dizzying array of falsehoods combined with some truth that are aimed at the heart of every church and every Christian. The world, the flesh, and the devil have you in their sights. Secular humanism, relativism, liberalism, postmodernism, atheism, skepticism, scientism, legalism, moralism. So many contradicting worldviews and such deception might be for many a cause of alarm your mind can wander and a lot of believers might start thinking wait a minute hold on what if these things could conquer us what if these things are true might God forget us or fail us or forsake us might there be a moment where his grip loosens might there be a moment where his concern for us fails or his care falters might he fumble the ball give you into the hands of the enemy might he cease doing what he does and might things fall apart 
might a Christian need to worry or fear? God says, no way. No way. Christ's faithfulness is our defense. This is what we will see in these two verses we look at today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Christ's faithfulness is our defense. He shields and defends his people. 2 Thessalonians is all about remaining steadfast in a world of problems and persecution and even the pressure of false living. It's really about living right in a world gone wrong. It's all because God is in complete control. And even with the end times looming and the man of lawlessness looming, the end of chapter 2 that we've been looking at for a number of weeks is, is just pure, encouraging gold. We're praising God for His providence that those beloved of God in Christ they were chosen to be saved and to be sanctified and called by gospel preaching to share in Christ's glory. And that we're to help each other hold on to the word of God. Help each other hold on to the promises of God. That we're to personally interact. We're to pray. That we're to proclaim the word. That we are to do so with compassionate conviction. It would help the weak and the wandering and the, the worried and even the wolf-like and the unaware. And that we would make sure that our main concern is others' good in the church. That we would find our greatest delight in Christ. We're to be praying for God's power based on his love and his grace. This is what we've seen at the end of chapter 2. Chapter 3 begins with this imperative this command to pray, to pray that the word of God would speed ahead and be glorified as people believe it and obey it, and that God's servants would be rescued from opponents, that there would be this generous, like unstingy giving of the word of God as Jesus preserves his church, as he provides for his church, and that the gospel would advance. When we get to the end of chapter 3, it's going to emphasize, just like 1 Thessalonians did, living with integrity, that laziness even is ungodly. But before that, Paul proclaims his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He proclaims his confidence in God's keeping power and, and their follow-through obedience due to Christ's faithfulness. And this passage that we're looking at today, these two verses, it's, it's not like the rapids are running really fast, okay? And that, you know, it's, it's just uh, too, too much to handle at one time. This is just slow and steady. This is reassuring. This is like a breeze in the desert. This is like air conditioning on a muggy day. That telling us, Jesus is your best defense. You don't have to worry about all the things you're worrying about. Jesus is your best defense, and you are secure in Christ if you're a believer, and you can obey. 
Some of you have been worried for a long time. Am I losing my grip on Christ? Am I losing my faith? Am I, am I just going to go by the wayside? Is God going to throw me away? Am I even saved? What's going on? And you need to know, if you're a believer today, that Jesus is your best defense. And in him you are secure, and in him you can obey. First thing we see in verse 3, if you put your eyes on verse 3 for a moment, look at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. That we see that God is faithful to protect his people from Satan. He's not going to steal you away from God. That Jesus is your defense and you are secure. The Lord is faithful. In sharp contrast to widespread lack of faith. We're talking here about the faithfulness of Jesus. That he is trustworthy. That he is dependable. That he is reliable. Jesus can be counted on. And, and what happens is, Paul just keeps referring to the Lord. He keeps referring to Jesus over and over again. He's like fixated on Jesus. Ever since he mentions the man of lawlessness, he has this, conf- this constant and confident reference to Jesus. Jesus counteracts evil. So, so be inspired, people. Your leader is the Lord. Your leader is not you. Some of you need to figure that out a little bit better. But you need to be confidently fixated and be encouraged that the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke his word, who preserves his word, who anchors it in humble hearts, will never leave you and never forsake you. You notice that it says the Lord is faithful. What's interesting about that is you don't usually need that word in a Greek sentence like this. It's just usually like the Lord, faithful. Is is not usually in the Greek sentence. Why is it here? Because it emphasizes an absolute certainty. He really is faithful. He really does hold all things together by the word of his power. He really is who he says he is. He really does what he says he will do. He is faithful. He stands by his covenant. You can expect God to act. It says here that he's faithful and he will establish you. He will strengthen you. He will, it's, it's, he'll be a buttress for you. He'll be a support. He will make you strong like a retaining wall. Where we live, we, my yard is filled with all these retaining blocks. And I've spent the last 11 years moving them into different areas of the yard that I think they might fit well. And they're heavy. And they stack and they hold things up. They're, they're for retaining so that things don't fall apart. Jesus, all-powerful, all-knowing, will strengthen you. And not only strengthen you, but he will guard you. Literally protect you. That's spoken of in a military protection against violent assault. Why do we have the United States military? It's to protect the people against violent assault. Here, it says that the Lord Jesus Christ will not only strengthen his people, but will protect his people, will guard his people from violent assault. Some of you are saying, well, that didn't happen in my life. Some of you are saying, well, you know, the hits keep coming. How can this be true? It says here that he will establish, strengthen you, and guard you against the evil one. That there will be an internal strength in your life And even external 
external protection when necessary. And, and think about it. We, we preach the word of God. Some believe the word. Some oppose the word of God. But there is this superhuman factor. This is why we pray that behind evil people opposing the gospel stands the evil one, stands Satan, stands the devil, the, the father of lies, the liar, the deceiver, our enemy. But praise God. Behind gospel proclaimers stands the holy one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in your life and in the life of the church can be trusted to strengthen and protect you from the deceiver, from Satan, that you would have an inward security, that you would have outward protection from the author of evil, that the evil one who is your adversary and God's defeated enemy would not touch you. And it comes with a caveat. God has an arsenal, and he doesn't have all the weapons of your choosing, as the weapons of his choosing, and God's arsenal to bring him praise includes the wrath of man and the roaring of Satan. Think Job. Think Job and surrender to God's sovereign sufficiency, whatever comes your way. This verse is telling us God will put roadblocks up and spike strips down to stop anyone that is, has not been given providential permission. Proof that the Lord is faithful. He always has been. He always will be. The Lord really is faithful. You can rejoice in Christ because his covenant faithfulness will protect you from the Antichrist, will protect you from Satan. The covenant God who, whose mercies are new every morning, as Lamentations 3 tells us, whose compassions never fail. Lamentations 3, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Literally, abundant is your faithfulness. As a songwriter put it, there's no shadow of turning in him. There, he doesn't change. As you have been, you forever will be. He is faithful. He is faithful to his saving covenant promises. In Deuteronomy 7, we read these words, Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, As surely as God is faithful, all the promises of God find their yes in him. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You can trust Jesus. Jude 24 says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, meaning that you would not fully leave the faith. You might stumble and fall in your sin, but you will repent, you will come back, you will be restored. He is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, his and yours. And I think it bears repeating to yourself often that your faith in Christ is due to the faithfulness of Christ. Not due to anything good in you. Your faith in Christ is due to the faithfulness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he who calls you, who will bring it to pass. 
You wonder at this point in the game, at this venture, your junk, this juncture, and you're wondering, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to work out for me in my life. I might just have to throw in the towel. I don't know if God's going to come through. Perish the thought. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. God choosing and adopting every Christian guarantees his love and protecting grace will be with you until the end both now and forever you will enjoy christ if you're a believer today you are secure in christ and even jesus is faithful in temptation one of the very first verses i memorized as a brand new believer in the early 80s was first corinthians 10 13 no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape also that you may be able uh, to endure it. Note that there is an, a, an escape and an endurance. He is faithful in temptation. Jesus is faithful in your suffering. 1 Peter 4, 19, those who suffer according to the will of God, entrust your souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Don't throw in the towel. 1 Peter 5, 10 says, after you've suffered for a little while, which means live this life, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, strengthen, confirm, and establish you. Jesus is faithful. He is faithful to protect believers from Satan. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. This doesn't mean you can become sinless. It means that you want to please God. It means that you repent of your sins. It means that you don't take sin lightly. It means that you are serious about saying no to sin. And it says here, here that he who was born of God protects him. Jesus protects the believer. And the evil one does not touch him. You're not getting thrown to the wolves. You're not getting thrown to the evil one. Your best defense that protects you is that Jesus. Jesus is your strong defense. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Do you bank your every moment on it? Do you wake up in the morning and not be racked with fear? Can you go through your day not wondering, are you going to fall by the wayside? And can you know that you're not in this alone? Our westernized mindset is so selfish and so individualized. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. No, it's not. We are in this battle together. Don't get some kind of spiritual tunnel vision where you think you're the only one. Remember what Elijah had to be reminded of. He wasn't the only suffering prophet. And I think... I think it should be strangely comforting to us to know that you're not, you're not the only one who needs comforting. We get so wrapped up in our own stuff that we think, well, no one's comforting me or I'm the only one going through this. No, we share with one another in Christ the sufferings of Christ. When you read this stuff in the Bible and it says, beloved, it's for the whole church and it's for a whole church to apply together and to recognize that this is what we're going through. In 1 Peter 4, beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that will come upon you for your testing. As something strange happening to you, but rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice together. Your best defense is Jesus. If you're a believer. Only God knows the condition of your soul. The Lord knows those who are his. What I know is you can't work your way to God. What I know is only Jesus saves by grace through faith. What I know is your sin condemns you to eternity apart from God unless and until he intervenes and draws you to himself. What I know is only through faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus at the cross for your sins can you be at peace with God and be forgiven and have joy and eternal life and be a new creation in Christ. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. So if you're not a Christian today, turn from your sins, trust in Christ. Do that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Entrust your soul to Jesus apart from anything you can do or deserve. You deserve hell. Like the songwriter put it, my sin, oh, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Only by God's mercy. We sang this this morning. Only by God's mercy holding back what you deserve. Only by God's grace giving you what you don't deserve can you be saved from God's wrath for God's glory. And you don't get saved in a vacuum where now you can go off and do whatever you want in life. You get saved to be a part of the church. You are now a part of the church. You are adopted into God's family. You are to connect and grow in Christ's church with others who love Jesus, with others who are committed to the local church where you live for God's glory where you live for the good of others, where you're not just a mere hearer of the word, but you are a doer, such that you would choose to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. How we treat each other is crucial to the picture. Jesus said the world will know that we are his followers. We will be recognized as Christ's followers by our love one for another. I mean, how does God strengthen and guard his church? How does Jesus strengthen and guard his bride? He does so through his people. If you go back into 1 Thessalonians with me, and you'll notice just the intense personal connection, and you look at 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1, you'll notice it. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Verse 2, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. You yourselves know that we, the church, was destined for this. Verse 5, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Verse 8, for now we live 
Oh, we, we live the abundant life if we hear that you're standing firm in the faith. That's what got them excited. That's what got them encouraged, hearing of believers doing well. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he told them right off the bat, here's why I want to see you, so that we could be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Remind each other that Jesus is faithful. Remind each other that we are secure in Christ, not for laziness, but for gospel work. Jesus strengthens and guards his church through the church and also through prayer. Jesus prayed in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In Ephesians 6, we read of this spiritual battle that is going on, that is ensuing, and what happens is this. You look at verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit. You're saved by Jesus. You have the Spirit of God. Pray with all prayer and supplication. You've already taken up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Keep alert with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray for us. Jesus strengthens and guards his church through the prayers of his church. And Jesus strengthens and guards his church by his own presence. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, Paul recounts, how things went. In verse 14, he name checks Alexander the coppersmith. It's there forever, by the way. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. So he tells the church, but there's a guy that's going to try to trip you up. Beware of him yourself. For he strongly opposed our message. And then he says this in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And he doesn't pile on the church. He knows how it goes. And he says, may it not be charged against them. And then in verse 17, he said, But the Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me so that through the message it might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus strengthens and guards his church by his presence. You'll notice the Lord stood by him. The Lord will stand by you. The Lord strengthened him. The Lord will strengthen you. The Lord rescued him. The Lord will rescue you. The Lord will rescue you and bring you safely to his kingdom. Will there be scars? Will there be scratches? Will there be dents in the fender? Absolutely. But you can be sure of this for yourself and the entire church. Jesus is our best defense and we are secure in him. You're not getting stolen. These are crazy days in which we live. People are afraid to speak up because they've been shouted down. How many Christians do I know are afraid to bring anything up in the realms in which God has placed them, providentially placed them, in the home, the neighborhood, the office, 
whatever arena God has put you in. So many Christians are afraid to speak up because they're afraid to be shouted down. We're living in a time when it's odd, it's considered odd to see someone reading a Bible in public. Some of you are on your phone in public, on your Bible, but they're thinking you're on social media or something. You're scrolling, you're buying something. I use my electronic Bible all the time. But you know, there's something to be said for a real Bible made out of leather and paper. Calf skin and what have you. Well, I, I think they're coming back. A real Bible. People think it's weird if you've got a real Bible out in public now. That's how things are. And you are expected, by the way, tomorrow morning, not to bring Jesus into the conversation. You all know that. And even if you try to plan it out, you are afraid of what might happen or be said. Interesting. 1973, Billy Graham was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I was watching a clip of this recently. And 1973, the year that my first car was made and our home was built. 1973, Billy Graham on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson freely preached the gospel. Interestingly, I don't think Johnny Carson and... uh, his buddy, uh, Ed McMahon, loved it, but they couldn't do anything about it because the audience liked it. He's on TV, he's preaching the gospel freely, and he says, by the way, I've been to Korea, I've been to Atlanta, I've been to Israel and Jordan recently, preaching the gospel, and he says, the biggest issue I have found is cosmic loneliness and practical atheism. 1973. He says, this is what he said, he goes, even now, 90% of people in the United States say they believe in God, but they're denying him with their lives. What we have now is just blatant atheism. Families are crumbling, and morals are eroding, and communities are imploding, and lawlessness is exploding, and pastors are misleading more and more people because they're more and more interested in social acceptance than biblical fidelity. That what God calls evil, they're calling good. Past generations of Christians would be shocked. And as one person put it, insanity has gripped us. Insanity has gripped us. You might feel in your life like your nostrils are barely above water. But they're There will come a day, and even what is happening now, much of it is reserved for judgment day, when God will show who was right and who was wrong. In Acts 17, Paul's preaching, and he says, look, God has overlooked the times of of ignorance, and God is now declaring to everyone everywhere that everyone should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, through a man, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ. Many of you think that your, your enemy is someone in your family or a neighbor or someone you don't like anymore or someone who's mistreated you, but your, your true enemy is not Christians behaving badly or unbelievers but the evil one your true enemy is the evil one you're to resist the devil and he will flee from you problem is so many people are inviting him in 
You should kick him out. He's a liar. Don't believe his lies anymore. Jesus is your best ally. As, as the song goes, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Jesus is your best defense. Therefore, you are secure in Christ. God is faithful to protect his people from Satan. What else do we see? Verse 4. God's faithfully protected people are then free to obey and be fruitful. Jesus is your best defense, and you are secure, therefore you can obey and be fruitful. Verse 4 says, we have confidence in the Lord about you. Notice he doesn't say, by the way, you're the best. Thessalonians, I don't think anyone's ever going to surpass you. You're so awesome. I'm pretty sure they were a lot like us, except they didn't wear Crocs. He's confident not in them, but in the Lord in them, inspiring them to obey. Jesus is your best defense. You're secure and you can obey and then bear fruit. You should be assured of the love of Christ for you. And what he, what he does, he's, he's so assured of, of their love for Christ, he gives credit to God. Put no confidence in the flesh, people. In yours or someone else's, your confidence must be in Christ. He's the one that will keep his word. He's the one that will do what he said he will do. He's the one that will keep his promises. He's the one that will not forsake his own. Jesus Christ. You'll notice what he says. We have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do, we literally continue to do, the things we command. Command here is an authoritative order. He's prepping them for the commands that will come at the end of this chapter and even reminding them of the commands that had been before. And he's basically saying, I have no doubt about your obedience. I have, I have no doubt that you will obey. I'm thankful to know so many Christians in this church, in this assembly, who want to obey Jesus. They're, 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 you want to obey the Lord. You want to open the Bible up and say, well, this is what God's word says. We got to do that. Even if a bunch of people are saying that's not what it says, because it does. I'm thankful that, that I could say, you know, I can say this. I can say this, as, you know, as Paul said it, and, and every Christian leader even should be able to say this. You know, I have confidence in you because I have confidence in the Lord. I know you'll obey. You've been doing it. I've seen it, and you're going to continue. Now, do you think that every person in the whole church was, like, completely obedient? No. It's a collective thing that he's saying, and, and, and the idea behind it is, look, Faithful Jesus makes people faithful. The confidence was not because they were extra special or extra, you know, cut above the rest of Christians. The confidence was in their union with Christ that counteracts human frailty and weak human nature. See, because Jesus is faithful, you can be faithful. You can be fruitful. In fact, Paul said this. He said this to Timothy. He says, you know, I am thanking Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Time out. You know what Paul was doing right before he got saved? He 
was on the way to arrest Christians. And before that, he was standing by when Stephen was being killed for his faith in Christ. How in the universe could he say something like, Jesus considered me faithful and put me in a service? Only because there would be union with Christ. Faithful Jesus makes his people faithful. If you're faithful, it's because Jesus is faithful. The thing's commanded. Expecting obedience. The thing's commanded. If you love Jesus, you'll, you'll obey him. I want you to do this with me. I want you to open your Bible. It should be already open. Uh, and go back to 1 Thessalonians. What I want to do is I want to walk us through everything that's commanded in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. In, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, there's five command sections and 20 imperatives. And I, I want you to see this. I want you to see how beloved you are and how steadfast you can be. Now, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 4 because that's where the commands start. And you'll notice this is just like all, a lot of the other New Testament letters. It starts with gospel truth, doctrine, everything, the bedrock foundation, and then here's how you live as a result as it goes on. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and please God, that as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Like, don't let up, don't rest on your laurels, do this. Then he says in verse 3, for it is, this is the will of God. So you're, you're searching for the will of God today. Here's, here's one clear indication of the will of God right here. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things. We told you before, we solemnly warned you. In verse 10, you're doing this, but we urge you to do this more and more and to aspire, verse 11, to live quietly and mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, after speaking of the coming of Jesus and bringing the church to himself, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's an imperative. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 to 8, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us, let us keep awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. Now, by the way, get your eight hours. It's not what this is talking about. It's talking about spiritual, you know, laziness and letting things go by the wayside and not caring about what God cares about. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Two imperatives, encourage and build up. And then you start into verse 13, and literally it's like a boatload of imperatives. 17 imperatives load up this section from 13 to 23. 26. 13, be at peace among yourselves. 14, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Lots of imperatives there. Verse 15, see, there's an imperative, that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always seek, another imperative, to do good to those, to one another and to everyone. Do you see? He's saying, you're doing this. 
Verse 16, rejoice always. There's an imperative. Pray, verse 17, without ceasing. 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, there you go. There's another will of God for you. Give thanks in everything, even when it doesn't go your way. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Verse 21, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Imperative, 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 imperative. 22, abstain from every form of evil. And then 25, brothers, pray for us. Imperative. Verse 26, and this is what the, the one that everyone loves. There'll be a lineup on the plaza after, after second hour here. Greet all the brothers with a, with a holy kiss. Now you get into 2 Thessalonians, and there's three command sections and seven imperatives. Not as many, but they're very strong. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 3, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we urge you, brothers, we ask you not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to come from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way. They're following that. They're not getting deceived. They're they're. Contending for the faith once for all delivered in the word of God. Then you get to verse 15, 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions, to the word that you were taught by us. Take note that also uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, pray. Now forward looking, when you get into chapter 3, What will be commanded? Three times you'll see the same word used for command in verse 6 and 10 and 12. 2 Thessalonians 6. We'll look at this in coming weeks. But in verse 6 it says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. It says in verse 10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In verse 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. In 14 and 15, as for you, brothers, uh, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Wow. You're supposed to flee sin, but not all sinful people. You're supposed to warn them. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says, that you should uh, not associate, by the way, with a so-called Christian if they are doing evil. What do we do? We stay with Christians doing evil and coddle it when we should run, and then we run from people doing evil when we should stay and give them the word. And, and, and by the way, Paul said, like, well, I didn't tell you not to interact with unbelievers anymore. You'd have to go outside the world. No, you stay and contend for the faith. But with believers, you expect them to obey. Kindly, lovingly, humbly. And and if you you have someone in this category, you warn them because you love them. And God will protect you and you're to flee evil and contend for the faith. Jesus is your best defense. You're secure, therefore you can obey. It's expected. In Philippians 2, when, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's, it, here's what it's front-loaded with. Since you have always obeyed, not just in my absence, but in my pre- not just in my presence, but in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. 
See, in verse 4, look at verse 4 again. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. The emphasis in this verse is on will do. Will do. That you will obey. And it's prepping them for the new commands. It's looking back to the old commands. And the idea is you, you must obey the word of God in your life. And, and the reason you do it is because ultimately due to Jesus, you are now saved by him and he is your everything. The Old Testament writers said it this way, that he's our portion. Portion. You know, we think of portion control in, in eating and what have you, but this is a different thing. That he is faithful and he is our portion. He is our inheritance. He is our joy. The psalmist in Psalm 16 put it this way, the Lord is my chosen portion. The psalmist put it in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So you can, you can obey because you know Jesus as your everything. But what is the portion thing? It, it goes back to when Israel was, was uh, entering the promised land. And each tribe was promised a portion of land. And then in Numbers 18, the Lord says, Now Levi will not have a portion of the land. The priests will not have a portion of the land. And Moses says, The Lord will be your portion. And so the heart of the psalmist is, God is my portion. He provides for me personally and directly. He will, just like back then, he would provide for, for Levi personally and directly through the temple, the tithes, the offerings, not the land. The people would work and cultivate it, but, but Levi would get provision from the Lord. And here's the thing. In your life, were, were you able to drive to church today? Were you able to ride a bike or walk to church today if you're watching on a live stream are you able to be alive right now and tune on on your on your computer of course right and and, and you think do you have a place to live do you have a place to stay do you have a, you have food to eat and you have clothes to wear and all sorts of things like that so be very thankful be very grateful to god but know that god gives you these things in the world not for those to be your focus but that your faith ultimately and, and primarily rests on the certainty of the Lord is enough. That Jesus is enough. That's why I obey. Not so he'll give me stuff. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 57 said this, the Lord is my portion. I promise to obey your words. Lord, you're my everything. I'm going to keep your words. Paul expected the churches to Believe the word of God and act upon it. He says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. You need to acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And therefore, out of reverent love, the love of Christ controls us. And the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, Old and New Testament, is God's word, inspired, inerrant, infallible. It is reliable for faith and doctrine and for living. So that if you would bring the word of God into your household, if you bring it into your co-workers' lives and the neighbors, and you first have to keep it yourself. So I want to obey this. Have a grip on truth that reflects God's glory, that renews your mind. C.S. Lewis says, you can't always be defending the truth. There must be a time to feed on it. You must be nourished by it. But when you're nourished by it, you're compelled to obey it. There's a certain comfort in that, that God commands only what is good. 
Plenty of people command you bad. God commands only what is good. And what happens is what is seen, and it's seen in the life of believers, that your humble, obedient heart is seen all the way to the tips of your fingers and all the way to the tip of your tongue. What you say and do reflects an obedient heart. I think it bears repeating often to yourself and others. Our faith in Christ is not due to our faithfulness. Our faith in Christ is due to the faithfulness of Christ. Therefore, we would want to be steadfastly adherent to the word of God, no matter who goes wrong or what goes wrong. Thomas Watson put it this way, the godly person will follow Christ, though it is death every step. He will keep his goodness when others are bad, and as all the water in the sea cannot make the fish salt, so all the wickedness in the world cannot make the godly wicked. He will follow Christ in the worst of times. Because God is faithful. You're covered. God is faithful, you must obey. God is faithful, his assurance fosters the obedience. He's your best defense. Jesus is your best defense. You're secure in Christ, therefore you can obey. Beloved, uh, all those isms aimed at your heart, you name them. They're merely symptoms of a deeper problem of depravity in Christ your sins are washed away and you are owned by a love that will not let you go Jesus holds you Jesus preserves you someone once said long ago a little boat tied fast to a rock is safe and so are we when we are tied to the rock of ages Our beloved holds on to us, so we hold on. There was an old man that was walking with his wife, and he insisted on taking her hand everywhere they went. Just held his hand, held her hand. But as they were doing that, his wife kept looking away. Someone asked him, why is this happening? Why does she keep looking away from you? And he said, she has Alzheimer's. And someone asked, well, does your wife worry if if you will let her go? And he said, she doesn't remember anything. She doesn't know who I am anymore. She hasn't recognized me for years. The questioner asked, you continue to guide her every single day, even though she doesn't recognize you? And the man smiled and he said, she may not know who I am, but I know who she is, and she is the love of my life. And I know that sometimes in the flood of life, you may seem to lose your way and even forget. But Jesus will never forget you. He will never forsake you. He will never fail you. It's like when people were leaving Jesus and he says to his disciples, are you going to go away too? And they say, Lord, where are we going to go? You have words of eternal life. Lord, we thank you and praise you that there is never a moment when your grip on us loosens that, or your concern fails. Never a 
a moment that your care falters. We thank you, Lord, that you are our best defense, that in you we are secure and are enabled to obey. We know something good is coming. And thank you, Lord, that as you empower us and protect us and provide for us, that we, and this is our prayer, Lord, that we would worshipfully trust and obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join as we close? Let it be, let it be Jesus. 
been our privilege to gather. I pray that you'll enjoy some fellowship with fellow believers as well as go out in the strength of Christ to serve him in whatever sphere of life uh, God enables you. We close Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air.